This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. It's Jesus' way of saying that the beginning of discovering your gift is your willingness to jump in where there's a great need and serve. Now, most of us will not discover our spiritual gift until we take the initial step of simple service, finding a need that exists and stepping in, even if we don't know if our spiritual gift matches it. And by the process of elimination, sooner or later, you will actually discover what your true gifting is. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Welcome back to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron. In this episode, we continue in the series, Everyday Heroes. Last time, Pastor Jeff started a message on discovering our spiritual gifts. He wants us to know that we've been created by the designer of the universe and motivating us to discover our spiritual gifts so we live a purpose-driven life. Here's Pastor Jeff with the rest of today's message. And if you want to listen to the first part or any other messages in this series, you can find it wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. Every gift is given in different proportion. The question is, what portion did God give you? Because the reality is, you know the toughest phase of life in our generation is the high schoolers, right? Man, they're growing up in a difficult world. That's why I encourage you often, parents, take it easy on those guys, man. They're facing a lot. Be patient with them. They're in a world right now that's telling them no matter how good they are, they don't measure up. It's never good enough the way they look. The way they dress, it's never good enough. They're told by uh, the government that the economy's crashing, the world has no grand future. And then they go to school and they're bullied, they're not encouraged, they're discouraged, and just one day after the next, they feel they don't measure up. But the reality is, there are some of you in this room who had a horrible high school life. Man, you were bullied, you were scholastically challenged, you had a home life that did not encourage you, Do you understand? Pastor Dane talked to us last week about our shape, and he said that your life experiences, God allows them to occur in your life to further equip you for great ministry and playing your role in the universe. So if you were that kind of person, look, I'm not. I lived much a sheltered life. I've admitted that. I had almost a perfect home life. But a lot of you did not. And God has allowed you to experience that to shape you and to form you. The grand designer has been at work so that now you know how to make it through those difficult times and you can get involved in the lives of our high schoolers right here in this congregation and perhaps even save their lives. God wants you to have your Bible and your life and that's enough training for you to be a teacher to these high schoolers. Somewhere along the line, you will understand that God wants to take all your life experiences, inject them with the power and wisdom of the Holy Spirit to change the life of these teenagers in this place. Now, by the way, the different measures of the same gift also applies to the gift of service or helps. When we lived in Savannah, my wife, I, I remember she walked in uh, to, the, uh, to our living room in Savannah and she said, uh, Jeff, and she gave me horrible words to me. She said, I, I'd like you, I need some shelves out in the storage room. 
Now, folks, telling me that she needs some shelves built in the storage room is like me walking up to you five minutes before the service starts and saying, you know what, I've lost my voice. What do you preach tonight? Because I don't know what I'm doing. Folks, I can't even change the oil in my car. You have to understand God gifted me in a certain area, and there's a whole lot of other areas I just don't have expertise in. The thought of taking a hammer and driving a nail is a scary thought to me, and I've wounded myself many, many times. And so I go out in the storage shed, and I'm just looking. Yes, I know a lot of women right now. Boy, I'm glad I'm not married to you, pal. You're right. You're right. You're glad. And so I went out there, and I stood in this place. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just shaking my hand. I don't even know where to start. My 12-year-old son, Delaney, comes out there. He says, what's wrong, Dad? I said, son, your mother asked me to build some shelves. Man, I don't even know what to do. His eyes lit up. He went away. About five minutes later, I'm still standing there, just kind of in a daze. He comes back. He's got a pencil behind his ear, measuring tape, his tool belt on. He starts drawing lines, measuring. He says, Dad, try to stand over there and get out of the way, if you would. And then, he, then every couple of minutes, he'd say, Dad, would you come back over and hold the measuring tape? Dad, would you hold the measuring tape still, please? And then he measures it out, draws the line. He looks up at me, and he says, Dad... Uh, you think you can take me to the hardware store and then maybe to the lumber yard? Sure, son, I will. And we get in the Jeep, we go to the hardware store, and of course, the guy in the hardware store walks up, and who's he talk to? Me. Can I help you, sir? And I said, uh, uh, it's actually my son who's going to do the talking. And Delaney says, yeah, I need some two-by-fours, and I need this, and I need some shelving, I need some bread. Whatever, I can't even say what he wanted. We put it in the car, went to the lumber yard, did the same thing, got home. Delaney's out there. He's drilling holes, man. He's hammering screws or nails or whatever. He's putting the shelves up. Man, I was so proud of myself. I'm telling you, it was a beautiful thing because Delaney is a, is a Mr. Fix-It with a capital F. That's what he is. But there's some of you in this room, you're a Mr. or Mrs. Fix-It with a small F. Give you some duct tape and you can repair the world. I've seen it in action. You can fix anything, cars and houses and boats. I've even seen fathers braid hair with duct tape because you're a Mr. Fix-It with a small F. Now think about this, capital F, small F, and then, of course, there are those who got an F in shop and woodworking, and we've never looked back after high school. But do you know what you can do with that gift? That is a gift from God. He didn't get that from me nor his mother. It's from God. And you can go with us in the fall to Zimbabwe, and you can get that caulking out, and you can patch up the cracks and the holes in the schools. You can help us build a church building with four concrete walls and a thatch roof. Man, you can go and bring light into the lives of so many of those children just by working and using your gift. You can help us find a warehouse and repair it. You can help us help us go into these homes of these single moms and repair these dilapidated dwelling places so they can concentrate on just surviving and having enough money and time with their kids. The things that you can do because of that gift will inspire and transform the lives of others. Follow me just for a moment again. Let's go back to the chessboard. They say that if you don't give your life to Christ by the age of 14, chances are incredibly slim that you ever will. You know that, right? We've got 14 years with them. Now, most of us will not discover our spiritual gift until we take the initial step of simple service, finding a need that exists and stepping in, even if we don't know if our spiritual gift matches it. That's what the pawn on the chessboard is all about. The pawn is not extremely gifted. The purpose for the pawn is to give its life for a grander purpose, to serve, to take something out if it possibly can, but to give itself up. That's what a lot of us need to understand. Before we find our spiritual gift, we jump in somewhere, 
somewhere in ministry, and by the process of elimination, sooner or later, you will actually discover what your true gifting is. But you step in and you begin to serve. Now listen to what Jesus said in Mark 9. He took a little child, set him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. It's Jesus' way of saying that the beginning of discovering your gift is your willingness to jump in where there's a great need and serve, and serve in a powerful way. And once you do that, well, the journey will begin, and you will find your place in the universe. Listen, what you can do for the lives of these children, you say, Jeff, I can't teach. I can't lead a small group. Children intimidate me. Then you know what? At the very least, you could get on the ground and with these two-year-olds and read them a Bible story or just talk to them. You know, when Sion was being born, I read a book that said, if you whisper into the mother's womb every night, that child may remember some of the things that you talk about or the songs you sing. I mean, I had an incredible experience with that. But let me tell you something. The reality is, if you could just take the time to read them Bible stories, to say to them, hey, I know life's going to be tough. They may not understand that, but I want you to know Jesus loves you and has a great plan for your life. If you're just willing to do even that, then when they grow older, everything they learn after that is going to be interpreted on the basis of the foundation you help lay, that Jesus loves them and has a great plan. The grand designer has a plan for their lives. Otherwise, you can borrow my Superman costume. Just wear the Superman costume, show up here every week and say, oh, Superman. You know how many children would like to go to Disneyland or like to go to see Santa because of the enormity of the figurehead? What if we had people here that just wore costumes and welcomed the kids? Now, this is a very minute, the very foundational level. Somehow, you're involved in their lives to make a difference in their lives, and they'll never forget the change that happens because of your ministry. Whatever it is, be a hero to these children so that we can inspire them while they're young. Verse 8, if a person's gift is encouraging... Let him encourage. The Greek word there is parakaleo. It's the first cousin to parakletos, which is translated in your New Testament, Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the great comforter, the great encourager. And the reality is some of you have that gift. Now, when I was, uh, uh, or oftentimes on this stage, I've shared with you my struggle with a little bit of depression where I go way up or way down. Now, today I'm way up because I flew. I was Superman. But, you know, really in depression... The down comes after the high. And I remember a man at Savannah by the name of Jim Bolin who had this uncanny gift. After I shared that with the people at Savannah Christian, Jim would come into my office from time to time, almost every day it seemed. He'd peek his head around the corner and say, Vines, I'm watching you. I got my eyes on you. And he would have this ability to say the right thing. He would say, how you doing, Jeff? Is this a good week? Is this a good day? I'm right here for you. And it's, it's like he had this supernatural ability to say the right thing to me at the right time without a great sense of judgment. And some of you have that ability to encourage. And we need you as decision counselors. As people come forward, they're not expecting you to repair them. God will do that. They just want somebody, they, they want somebody to pray for them. They want to know that someone else cares about their situation and will encourage them and pray for them that God may get involved in their lives. Some of you would make great small group hosts. You say, well, I can't teach. Maybe not. But you'd be great at having a small group meet in your home every week or every other week or once a month where people come in and you stand at the door and we supply you with the teacher, but you're the guy or the gal at the door and you're encouraging. You're saying, I know you had a tough week, but I love you. God loves you. And we're in this together. We're going to make it together. 
Or you can be over there if you have the gift of encouragement with our children. Encouraging those children to stay strong. You can make it. Life is tough. I think of our high schoolers again. How God needs so many of you to invest in their lives and the junior hires to encourage them, to tell them it's going to be okay. Life's tough right now. You've forgotten how much pain you can have as a junior high or a high schooler. And they need you. If it's encouragement, let him encourage. Verse 8 continues, if a person's gift is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. Now at this point, somebody says, well, I didn't know giving was a gift. That explains a lot. Jeff, I don't give because it's not my gift. So I'll let those whose gift it is do the giving. Now hold on a second. Remember, the fundamental call of Jesus Christ is to render to Caesars, Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. The question is, what belongs to God? Everything. Everything. But there are some people who have an uncanny ability, this gift supernaturally injected, that they say, God, I know that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. And because of that, God, I'm going to open up the gate to my land, and I'm going to ask you to bring those cows in, and I'm going to send them right back out for your purposes, for your grand design, and the expansion of your kingdom here on the earth. And God trusts them, so God starts sending in the cattle, and they keep sending them right out. And then this incredible cycle begins. They start actually trying to outgive God, so they give more away, so God gives them more. Then they give more away, and God gives them more. It's an amazing thing. And a lot of people are saying, well, you know what? If God gave me more, I'd give more away. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, you first. You give out of what you have. Then I know I can trust you. Then I'll send more into your field and more into your barn. I'm just scared that we continue to stockpile, stockpile, even out of fear. And we bind the hands of God, as we read a few weeks ago in the book of Malachi. If a person's gift is leadership, let him govern diligently. Now, I'm almost finished, but I want you to stay with me here. This is the position that means to steer a ship, to stand at the helm, to guide, to lead. Now, folks, I want you to know that our elders at this church love you. They pray for you during the week. When we had an elders meeting last Tuesday night, I sat around the table with these guys, and they opened my eyes to this truth. There are people, I'm so focused on Zimbabwe and on the San Gabriel Valley and out in our schools, and I'm glad we're doing that. But there are people in our own congregation losing their homes and losing their jobs. I need your help. I need you CEOs out there, you managing directors, those of you who are gifted far above where I'm gifted in this area, I need you to come forward. I need you to email me, and I need you to help me do food drives and clothing drives, and I need you to help me set up something here every weekend where we can help people job search and find them the job that they need so they don't have to worry anymore. I need you. I need your help. Some of you have an incredible gift of leadership and you're using it out there and you're doing a great job. I need you to bring it in here. Look, I'm not proud, believe me. You should know that by now. I know where my limits are. They're in this, they're in definitely in some of these leadership areas. There are sharp people in our church. I need you to come forward and help me meet the needs of these people. Please. Look at what the Bible says. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Now, you understand, and you've probably heard the first part of this verse. It's not going to be on the screen, so I'm going to read it. But pay very close attention to the second part. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. In other words, 
our first responsibility is to each other. Of those who are in the household of faith, we take care of each other. And it is my vision, it's the elder's vision, that nobody in our church loses their job without our help finding the new job. No one loses their house without us coming to their aid somehow. But I need you CEOs and you managing directors and you people who know what you're doing to recruit, to job search, and to find these resources to come alongside and email our church and say, ah, man, let's meet together and solve this problem. If we can just do that together. My best friend back in Savannah, Georgia, was a man by the name of Mark Spadoni. Mark Spadoni almost single-handedly saved the city of Savannah. They were having trouble getting tourists. They were having trouble occupying hotels or having people occupy their hotels and coming to the city. It was Mark Spadoni's idea to bring a professional golf tournament to start some of the tours through Savannah. He started riverboat racing on the Savannah River. He has brought so much to the city. But in reality, he told me that his greatest passion is none of this. His greatest passion is somehow to get the people who are in his small group, he's a small group leader, a host, doesn't do the teaching, he's a host, is to get the small groups in his church in Savannah, Georgia, to start participating in wiping out poverty in the streets of Savannah. Where are the CEOs and the managing directors? You say, Jeff, I don't have that gift that you're talking about. It's too big, it's too large. Then maybe you can be like my friend Joyce Yuda. I told you about her, she lives in Zimbabwe. Or she did. I, I told you the story of how she died and I was by her bed. But when she was alive, she might have been a leader with a small L because she got it on her heart that she wanted to win all the people on her street to Christ and get them into our church. She got this idea of preparing a meal on Saturday night and inviting her community, her block, over to her home. Now that's a huge deal in Zimbabwe. And people started to come And she won so many of the people to Christ on her street and brought them to church because of a vision she had. She became a leader with a small L. Let me say it again. What is it in your life that gives you a holy discontent? What are you dissatisfied with? What is it drives you crazy that something's not being done? The tendency is for us to say, I can't believe my church. It doesn't do this. Do you realize it's the Spirit of God that put that discontent in you? And instead of sniping behind the bushes and saying, why don't you, why doesn't my church realize you are the church and God may be calling you to lead this endeavor and to conquer that giant? You don't have to wait for us or the elders to give you permission. Go and get it done. Some of you might have the gift of leadership. There are other gifts in the Bible. There's this great gift of of, uh, Elias or mercy. If a person's gift is showing mercy... Do it cheerfully. Again, that's the Greek word elios, which means an outward manifestation of pity. This is more than just giving words of encouragement. This is having enough compassion and passion to actually put your hands to work and do something about it. Some of you have that gift. Now follow me. I'm almost done, but these are crucial gifts. You know, when Robin and I were in Africa, we had the opportunity to stay in the home of Kyle and Bonnie Harrison. I've been thinking a lot about them lately. And I didn't realize how blessed we were. We would come home from Africa and Kyle would let me work on the farm. And Bonnie, man, she would cook these incredible breakfasts. It was, by the way, some of you have the gift of cooking. Dana and I would like you to know we have the gift of eating. So we can help you out there. <laughs> but she would cook, we would eat, and I would work. And on a Sunday, we'd go to church at their church. And inevitably, Kyle Harrison would come up behind me just near the end of the sermon and tap me on the shoulder and say, Jeff, Come on. I had no idea. I wish I could have thanked him, but I had no idea what he was doing. He would get in his car. He would invite me. We would go down about a quarter of a mile from the church to a nursing home. 
And he would take me with him as a young 23-year-old. And we'd go in that nursing home and it would freak me out. It would. I'd see people slumped over, drool falling off their faces, and people just making noises that had no uh, sense to it at at all. But it never intimidated Kyle. He would go into the hospital room, climb up in the bed with these old ladies, and he would hold them and tell them Jesus loves them and take a cloth and wipe the drool off their faces. And then he would brush their hair and straighten them up and just say that he loved them room after room after room because he had the gift of mercy. He had a holy discontent and he responded to it. Somebody ought to be caring for the underprivileged or those who are hurting. There were two ladies in Lexington, Kentucky that had this holy discontent. They heard about a brothel downtown Lexington, prostitution. And rather than judging, do you know what they did? They went down and came up, how can we rescue these ladies out of prostitution? And so they first started just cooking meals and going over and telling the prostitutes, hey, come over, we have a meal for you. Of course, they say, what's the catch? Nothing. We just want to help you. We know your life is tough. Please come over. And by the way, that life of prostitution is more complex than most of us think. It is very difficult to get out once you're in. And so these ladies would cook these great meals and these young girls would come over and actually eat, say thank you and go. And then these ladies got another idea. They decided to buy the house that was right beside the brothel. They turned it into a halfway house so that they told the girls, if you come over here, we want to give you a place to live and we'll feed you and take care of you until such time as you find a job and you're able to stand on your own two feet. It was five, 10, 15, 20, 25 people rescued. It's called the bruised reed ministry because two women had the gift of mercy and a holy discontent. What is it in your life that you wish somebody would solve? God is calling you to solve it, to lead the charge and to show mercy. Now listen, there are two things, two endeavors. Number one, you've got to find your spiritual gift. We have two people in our church, Malene Hancock and Eric Champa. Do you know what their spiritual gift is? Helping you find your spiritual gift. Find out what your gifting is. It's so crucial that you do that. It can, it can open your eyes to who God made you to be. The second endeavor is this. I did not learn to swim until I was 17 years old. That's right. Because my mom and dad were afraid of water, and they would never let me go near it. Now, that's unfathomable to you who live in California. But I became motivated one day for the same reason most men are motivated to accomplish great things. A girl. That's right. See, it was guys who laughed. They know what I'm talking about. There's no way I was going to let this girl know I didn't know how to swim. So a bunch of my buddies took me over, And I said, man, you guys got to teach me to swim. And we're getting in the baby pool, kicking and doing all this stuff. And finally, my friend said, Jeff, man, there's only one way to learn how to swim. Just dive in the deep end. And your God-given survival skills will take over. I said, there's no way I'm doing that. So they helped me dive in. And I did. And I learned to swim. Okay? Now, here's the reality. You're never going to learn the void in the universe that only you were designed to fill until you just jump in head first. And you start serving because it's the right thing to do. I'm going to ask you to pray that God open your eyes to where you should start serving. I'm asking you to get out of the stands and get onto the playing field. I don't know how many times I can tell you that your joy is directly connected to it. It doesn't seem that way. I'm not sure you believe me. I can promise you, Jesus said, if you lose your life for his purposes, you're going to find it. You're going to find the purpose for your life and joy is ultimately connected to that. I'm going to ask you to leave when this service is over. Go out there. 
Discover your gift. Pray that God leads you to the right place and see the ministries that are available. Become aware of what we're doing and ask God to show you your place in the world. What would it be like if everybody in our church used their spiritual gift, that they found it, they used it? What would our church ultimately look like? I want to encourage you, go out. There's so much work that's taking place out there. Go out, find your hole in the universe. Find that place where only you can fill. Find your spiritual gift. God bless you. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Finds. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.